Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, and here we go. Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation, around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable podcast. This is podcast number 465. My name is Eric Nelson, and today is Wednesday, February 6, 2019. Corey Romero is my guest co-host today. John couldn't make it. Corey, how are you doing today? Hey, Eric. Doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, we'll jump right into the color of the bay. I've decided that uh, it must be crystal clear because I think that it's frozen, right? because it has been so cold in the Bay Area. We've got snow down at like 2,000 feet in the local hills. So first we of all, do. I've lived here 20, yeah. 28 years, and I've never seen snow, right? Like I've never seen snow in the local hills. We have one of the hills over there that gets a little dusting on the very, very top. But right now, if you look out across the Bay Area, it is white snow across all of the uh, East Bay Hill set, all the way across. It looks like the Sierras right right now, right? So pretty interesting, pretty interesting. So John can't be here, but the color of the bay is frozen. Let's put it that way. Um, Corey, so uh, it is uh, another day. We're into February now. It is our new year at VMware. Uh, I know that we're doing some vExpert stuff, uh, so why don't we just touch on that, uh, where we are on uh, the vExpert application. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're in the application state right now and uh, for vExpert application for 2018 program. And uh, so the application is due close this Friday at midnight. Um, I'll actually extend it a little bit and I'll actually close it Monday morning, but we, we'd like to say Friday at midnight just so everyone can get their stuff in and we have, you know, a couple of people on Saturday and Sunday to do it. But yeah, absolutely. Um, Friday applications are closing and then we'll go into the voting phase. Um, and then by the first week of March, we will have results for the 2019 program. All right. Fantastic. Great. Great as always. Um, so on the show today, I should mention that we have uh, Andre Workington. Andre works out of the uh, CTO office, I believe. We'll talk to him about what he does and where he works. Uh, we, we're going to be talking about ARM, uh, what's, what's happening with ARM um, in the industry, and also they're working on the uh, Raspberry Pi port of ESXi, kind of a fun project. We'll talk to him about that, how he kicked that off, uh, and uh, where we're going with regards to ARM in general and edge computing. So we've got uh, Andre on the, on the call today, so that should be a lot of fun. Uh, and then before we, we get to, to Andre, though, we'll just talk a little bit about what's happening in the news and social. I think it's uh, uh, good of me to mention that um, there's been a lot of discussion around the experts uh, again and the community and the fact that we've now done a policy that uh, basically uh, you know makes it clear that uh, competitors uh, of our products uh, will not be eligible for the VExpert program. So uh, we've, as we've grown our products, I've mentioned this I think three different times on the podcast, um, we get into other markets where we have direct competition, and direct competition doesn't generally allow uh, each other to be in their advocacy programs. And so the experts now uh, actually have that policy. We've always had that light policy where we've excluded uh, various people that are competitive in nature from the VExpert program. Uh, but now we've actually included uh, individuals, business units, and uh, full companies that are competing. Uh, so that went out. Um, we reset a lot of the VExpert apps um, for 2019 now. And so people noticed that uh, they were no longer in, active in account status. And so there's been a lot of activity on social. And what I would just say is that, hey, if you're working for a competitor and you're, you know about that, you know you're working at a competitor, even though you might have been a longtime VExpert and 
it's kind of a dynamic where we have community, we have the experts in the community. It's kind of a big family of, of, of people. You go work for a competitor as much as we want you to be in the family. And we really love everybody that's, that's part of the community. Um, there are reasons why, you know, competitors don't let each other, uh, participate in their marketing programs. And as, as much as we hate to do it, um, it is a fact of reality. And so uh, we encourage you to go be part of the community that you're working for. So if you're working for Oracle, they have a, uh, a advocacy program uh, and you can go join it and be a part of it. And hopefully we show up at the same events and we can still all be friends and enjoy each other's company when we get together. Uh, but there are definitely places where we're competitors. So, so Corey, um, I know you've been fielding questions like that as well. Uh, anything you want to add there? Uh, I, I think the the only thing that I have to add is I, I think the, the majority of the community is um, is understanding of uh, the policy, the expert policy, and I, I think it's been fairly well received in the community. Yeah, I would I would say thanks for people that were shouting out and actually. Um, you know, gave us support on that. Um, we appreciate that. Yeah. We watched everything uh, that was going by. Uh, we, we let the community actually talk about it. So it was good to let people, you know, talk about it, express their opinions. And we watched most of it, uh, tried to stay out of it a little bit and have just been mm -hmm. generically stating the, the obviously, obviously what our policy is and how we're moving the pro program forward. And we've always had this a little bit, but uh, now it has, it is, you know, it has absolutely moved forward on the, you know, individual business units as well as full company uh, exclusion. So, all right. So that's what, uh, that's what's happening there on to funner stuff. Uh, I'm super excited about the show today because uh, we, uh, we went to AWS reInvent, we went to VMworlds this year, we had sensors, we had Raspberry Pis, uh, and uh, for AWS reInvent, we actually uh, had reached out to Andre, and Andre got us a build of uh, uh, ESXi on Raspberry Pi, so we, it was fun. We got to go to AWS reInvent and kind of have that as part of the narrative and you know talked about it and demoed it just as a, a fun project along with the sensors. And on the show today, we're going to drill down and talk to Andre because he had done us a nice favor of getting us that build. And I know he's been working on it. I'm not sure if it's even his full-time project, but he, he's having fun with it. So uh, let me introduce Andre Workington. Andre, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, yeah, very, very excited. Thanks uh, again for helping us out uh, in short notice uh, last November when we reached out to you. Um, so as always on the community podcast, it's always get to know the, the community members that we're bringing on the show. So uh, Andre, what, uh, why don't you tell us who you are, how long have you been at VMware, and where has your career taken you to, to get you where you are today? Sure. So uh, I believe this is my eighth year at VMware. I'm one of the founders and tech leads for the ESXi ARM project uh, that's been handled out of the office of the CTO. And uh, okay. thus far, uh, VMware is the, my fourth career stop and the one I've been enjoying the most so far and hope to continue enjoying it in, well into the future. And I've been mostly in the uh, uh, kernel and virtualization space. Um, and uh, Exactly prior to VMware, I used to work at Motorola Mobility, which was my first encounter with uh, ARM CPUs, actually. Nice, nice. So that, that, that turns on my throwback clock because um, I worked a lot in engineering in my previous career before I moved into marketing and social, social and community building. Uh, and I worked in uh, different kernel groups who did a real-time Unix back uh, back in, I think it was in the late 80s uh, when I came out of college, uh, worked on real-time Unix, uh, worked for a company called Gould, which then was acquired, and we worked with Motorola out of uh, Urbana, Illinois. And uh, Motorola had a, a kernel group out of, out of Illinois because the supercomputing research centers uh, in Illinois, one of the, one of the nationwide ones. Uh, there's like several. And uh, yeah, so spent some time with uh, Motorola and kernel development uh, up there, a lot of fun there. Um, so you're probably graduated from a university somewhere, did computer science, I take it, way back when, and then have been in uh, kernel development ever since? 
Uh, that's correct. I graduated with a bachelor's uh, in computer science and engineering uh, from the University of Illinois at Chicago. Nice. <laughs> there you go. All right. Out of the Chicago office. Got it. Or campus, I guess. So neat. Yep. Neat. All right. So do you know the history of why computer science programs are really strong in, uh, in the, you know, the north central region of America? Do you know that, that story? In the north central? Uh, well, yeah, or just in Chicago, Illinois, Illinois, Wisconsin, that whole area. Do you know the, the history of that? I like uh, to tell no, that do story. Tell. Do tell, please. Okay, so it's because uh, Alexander Graham Bell uh, invented the telephone, and um, in the early days of switching technology, it was all manual. That you had operators and all that. And then over time, uh, they started getting into digital switching capabilities. And Bell Labs was based in Chicago, uh, up northern uh, Illinois. And uh, Bell Labs was like the leader in research. They they basically had a monopoly. And all the phone companies was a monopoly. And Bell Labs had like literally, you know, 50,000 engineers working on everything. And that's where um, they invented, you know, Unix, right, was was out of Bell Labs in that region. So all the good computer science schools ended up um, from that region because of Bell Labs and the research opportunities and then Unix was developed there and hence Unix became the telco infrastructure uh, switching which is why you have SSH and logging in and all that because, and that's why it's, it's all terminal based because to control the switches, the switches ended up in, you know, in box units in, uh, throughout the nation to control the telephone switching capability which is why it had all our remote login and all that kind of stuff uh, and it's all command based because you didn't have monitors to control the switching you know, units and hence that's the story behind why Great computer science uh, universities come from, I don't know what region I'd call that, but mid, Midwest, how's that? So that's the story. Yeah. Cool. Yep. cool. And, and kernel engineers, too, because the operating system was built there, and everything's now POSIX compliant and so forth. Anyway, we'll get on to ARM. So now we know who you are, uh, engineer out of uh, 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 Illinois, uh, University of Illinois, out of uh, Chicago, which is cool. And then uh, you're here at VMware for eight years, which makes you almost a grandfather of, uh, of being at this company. Right. So, almost. Um, well, but we actually have how uh, did one you... of my colleagues is, uh, you know, the famous Regis Duchesne, who is, uh, I believe, number three, uh, third uh, uh, most senior people at VMware. Uh, he is the father for VMware Fusion. And, he, you know, we are very privileged to have him in our team. Very nice. Yeah, where do you work years. out of now? Uh, uh, so, you're not oh, in the I, studio. I, yeah, no, I, I'm actually in my home office, but I generally work uh, out of our uh, Lafayette uh, uh, Street location in Boston, uh, right across from the Opera House. Okay, nice, That's nice. So you probably have some cold weather passing you through or did have some cold weather passing you through pretty soon or did. Um, Indeed. Okay, great. Great. So let's talk a little bit about ARM, right? So uh, ARM, obviously, everybody knows low-cost CPUs, mobile devices, um, no longer Intel. Um, is it a risk-based processor? I think it's a it's a risk-based, isn't it? Um, reduced instruction size. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. And you know, it's uh, obviously I don't want to go too much into the history of ARM. Uh, that's a long history, and it's kind of largely sure. irrelevant. Yeah. But uh, you know. Um, ARM was born quite a while ago. I believe it was either late 80s or early 90s. And they actually, right, I think sure. it was late, late 80s. And it started uh, on uh, workstations uh, from a company called Acorn. And Acorn was computing. And, but actually, ARM's big break was the Apple Newton. You know, Apple had uh, co-designed a CPU with ARM. Um, and that was, uh, I think it was an ARM2 or something. Again, I'm not an expert, so don't quote me on this. Um, nevertheless, pretty much from that point on, uh, ARM started a slow and steady growth through uh, sort of the embedded markets. Uh, you would find right. ARM chips pretty much uh, everywhere. Um, and of course, uh, when the uh, PDA and you know, smartphone revolution came along, that very much became uh, you know, the, de facto, the de facto chip. Uh, one thing to note, though, uh, is that the kind of ARM CPUs that uh, we are targeting here at VMware with ESXi, um, are fairly different from the kind of ARM CPUs that uh, you have been seeing over the last, say, 15, 20 years and in the mobile embedded space. So in the mobile space, 
pretty much uh, the expectation is you buy a phone every year, right? Or every two years or something. And uh, so there's a very, very fast, uh, fast-paced uh, you know, cadence of development. And silicon vendors would basically crank out these uh, SOCs and you know, system on a chip, uh, which is the CPU and everything else, uh, all the I/O facilities on die. Um, and they would kind of do so by grabbing a bunch of, uh, you know, IP blocks, uh, you know, just smashing them together. You know, some of them may be buggy, some of them might be proprietary and not compatible to kind of your typical PC I/O. Um, and so you end up with this chip, which is, you know, by itself is pretty useless, right? You have to run software on it. And the silicon vendor would then give you um, what's known as a BSP or a board support package, uh, or, you know, let, let's say port Android or port Linux uh, to that chip. And suddenly that chip is actually useful for something. A company like Motorola would step in, uh, take the chip, take the BSP, and, you know, crank out a phone, right, in, in, a, in a short period of time. Um, right. Of course, um, you kind of, the, you know, where would this model fit for an independent software vendor such as us, right? You know, do we manufacture chips? Uh, not really. You know, do we use Android? Well, uh, not really, right? Not really. Yeah. And um, so you have this problem where, you know, these chips uh, are very incompatible with each other if they're from different vendors. Uh, they also might be wildly incompatible even between minor revisions of each other. Um, you very often have various quirks and workarounds have to put in the software just for that chip alone. Otherwise, it won't work correctly. Okay, and uh, fortunately, the, you know there there is an inflection point here in the industry, and this is when um, a bunch of industry giants got together and said, "Look, you know, we see that these ARM CPUs have been growing in compute power uh, to the point where they might actually be interesting uh, in, in a more formal compute setting, may, maybe data center or cloud or edge." Uh, but there's a problem. Uh, how do you actually make them all kind of look the same way? The software. And so these industry giants got together and put together two specifications. One is called SBSA, and it's a server-based system architecture. And this spec basically says all ARM platforms are going to be as compatible as PCs are. And you can buy um, a PC motherboard from any place, uh, any OEM, using an Intel or AMD chip, and you're never wondering whether, you know, will Windows actually boot up? You know, maybe Windows will boot right. up until it needs a driver, but at least it will boot up. And speaking of booting, this other thing comes in, and that's the firmware spec. So the SBBR is a standard-based booting requirements. And this spec basically says, look, all ARM platforms will boot just like PCs using EFI and ACPI. With these two things, ARM platforms are suddenly interesting uh, for an independent uh, system software vendor such as VMware. Suddenly, we can put together you know, a hypervisor that will be able to run on a, on a wide range of uh, silicon um, without us having to put a specific effort for every single minor chip revision. That makes sense, right? Yep. So it became it became something that uh, that all of a sudden now you have multiple you know compute vendors that said it's a competitor of Intel, right? Really, but uh, in a different space. And uh, sure. then we hear about the you know the idea of lower cost because you don't have to pay Intel for a a, a seven hundred dollar chip. You know, you're now you know talking oh. maybe twenty dollars. Yeah, this is actually an interesting question too, right? Because you know, uh, so our ARM chips uh, when they were born they were actually twenty six bit, and then they became thirty two bit. Um, and then uh, ever since, you know, pretty much 2012, you know, every single phone out there is 64-bit ARM, right? I think Apple started that revolution. Um, and the CPUs, you know, you, you get to the point where, you know, these are not microcontrollers anymore, right? So you don't have this giant rift, you know, between, you know, microcontrollers and mainframes and you got PCs in the middle, right? And uh, the CPUs, you know, if you look at x86 and ARM CPUs, they're, they're functionally equivalent. They're generally in the same... Uh, performance ballpark, all right? They have the same I.O. facilities, same virtualization, same virtualization facilities. Um, and, you know, if I had to say, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, to draw a parallel to uh, x86 performance, um, uh, the chips are available at a wide range of performance uh, uh, capabilities, all the way from something like, um, you know, Intel Quark or Intel Atom, all the way up into Xeon Platinum range. So. And in between these different points, you have uh, a wide array of I.O. facilities, you know, memory bandwidth, uh, power consumption. You have chips that literally can go in the Raspberry Pi, or you have chips that end up in crazy super supercomputing systems. But one thing to note is that there's, only, there's, a, there's a very major reason why this whole ARM thing uh, could succeed in the first place. Uh, uh, 
I see that you've been in, in the industry for quite a long time. And so you, you might have seen these other architectures pop up. You know, they have their one or two years successes and they kind of go away, right? You know, RPC right. isn't really around. You know, Itanium yep. Yep. isn't really around. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones, you know, uh, Alpha XP. Um, MIPS uh, is still not, yeah, it was, it, there was this workstation movement back in the 90s and, and the IBM PC kind of put the end to that, right? Um, yep. And you say, could this have been um, an actual story, you know, a success story, say, in the early 2000s? And they, I think the answer is no, right? Because uh, what, did the, uh, what did computing look like back then? Uh, it was mostly Windows, right? It was mostly yep. uh, running uh, kind of proprietary uh, enterprise applications. You know, if you don't run Oracle, you know, I don't want it, right? If you can't run Windows, I don't want it, right? Linux was, uh, at that point, uh, growing steadily, uh, but you know, it didn't still have that uh, paradigm shift into uh, a wide adoption of open source. It's this wide adoption of open source that basically yeah. uh, shifted the software platform from actual hardware into basically Linux. So right now, if you're deploying next-gen workloads, uh, cloud workloads, IoT workloads, right? Uh, you generally care that, okay, the hardware meets my requirements, but then, you know, does it run on Linux? You know, can I run my, 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 my software stack on that? So it's basically Linux. Yeah. Linux is a platform, and then the question isn't whether am I gonna use x86 or ARM, it's more like, okay, uh, these are my requirements, and I have to run on Linux. Does Linux run on your chip? Okay, now it's interesting. And if it doesn't, I don't wanna hear about it. So there's a really you know, giant paradigm shift that enabled um, ARM to be successful, and you know we've been seeing it, of course, with uh, uh, Android and um, yeah, Android is a good example of you know an ARM success right. that is clearly enabled by open source technology. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. That makes complete sense, and uh, I've I've seen that as well, right? Which is the open source movement, and even the ARM spec is kind of open source from a manufacturing perspective. So then you have real comp comp competitors, and you know, you know, fabulous people that can go to China build build chips and 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 go integrate them in, and there's not a royalty. So I know like, like Roku's and other people that are just you know putting putting ARM based uh, SOCs into all kinds of things, and you you talk oh. about IoT devices. Is it's it's it it has exploded in a volume perspective. I'd be well. fairly I'd be fairly careful with that because uh, I'm sure that there'll be a large group of people listening to those podcasts that are behind the Risk uh, Five movement, and they will say, you know, no, Eric, that's not quite true, right? There's a royalty, and there really is a royalty. It's just, but there were royalty, you know, it, it's it's reasonable enough, I guess, that companies um, can build ARM designs. And actually, there's two things you could do. You could either pay one fee, the smaller one of the two. And you can basically license ARM's implementation of their spec. So this is their CPU and then you know, other blocks, interrupt controllers, timers, all that. And then th this lets you be that kind of nameless, uh, you know, silicon company that integrates, put these things onto a chip and cranks it up. Um, you got right. the other I guess that's too. I guess that's what I was referring to. That's what yeah. I had heard was just that yeah, you can buy a license to it. Then you're not per per unit per volume, you're not paying anything, yeah. right? Because you yeah, have you, the other license. You definitely have the other okay. option, and that is to license the instru instruction set yourself um, itself and then build the microarchitecture. So, in fact, um, quite a few of the uh, competitive uh, ARM SOCs out there today are custom uh, microarchitecture designs. I'll call out the Marvel uh, Thunder X2, previously known as the Cadian Thunder X2. That, that chip um, goes into HPC systems from HP and Cray. Uh, another one I'll call out is the Ampere Computing EMAG, which is a Xeon D-class um, server chip uh, that, again, is a custom design as well. So these are not using ARM's own implementation. Um, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, cool. I, I didn't know that, so thanks for thanks for sharing that. And with me and my listeners, that's good. that's neat. Um, so now we're kind of drifting into larger ARM systems, and uh, the fact that you know when we start talking about edge computing and putting things in bank branches or automotive dealerships for maintenance for cars that come in, you know some of the narrative that we talked about at AWS reInvent is that car companies are you know looking at uh, you know when you drive your car into the vehicle, you know, Tesla and auto auto updating car functionality all times. Now all of a sudden IoT devices you're pushing kind of that that management functionality out onto the edge and ARM systems seem to be the system of choice to be able to push that functionality out onto the edge, uh, which is maybe why VMware is starting to play in this space as well because some you know management capabilities that sometimes revolve around virtualization can be pushed out onto the edge as well. Is that is that accurate? 
Yeah, so there's actually, you know, there's a couple of great topics here. And one is to say, you know, fine, so people are building these ARM systems and they're doing so in a way where, you know, if you buy, you know, from vendor X or vendor Y, your software you know, will still run the same way you can buy from one x86 vendor, another x86 vendor, and things are compatible. So that's great, but, you know, what markets uh, are these things actually targeting, right? Uh, are those markets interesting to us? So uh, one uh, obvious market, of course, that pops up in your mind when you say ARM server is, of course, the enterprise. Um, you know, the systems that are being built are on ARM server chips. They are, of course, you know, um, rackables, you know, kind of the same footprint as your typical server, right? And uh, that market has been slowly growing, right? It has a real problem, though, and it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem, right? When you say enterprise, that sort of implies enterprise software. You know, what enterprise software runs today uh, on ARM. Uh, and so you do have commercial uh, Linux support uh, from uh, Red Hat. Recently announced Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Suzy has announced commercial support. You know, Ubuntu, commercial support. Um, I believe Oracle even uh, has their own variant of, uh, of Linux uh, that's in beta or something. But, you know, the big one here is like, oh, where's Windows? Where's Windows? And you might have heard that Windows, um, uh, Microsoft has launched a, a, a series of Windows connected PCs. And these are ARM 64 based laptops uh, that actually run a full blown version of Windows 10, right? Windows 10. Yeah. Just for stubborn, I heard that, and I, I wasn't sure I believed it, but I, they're for serious and building ARM-based Windows laptops, and they've, they've now announced that. Correct, correct. And, of course, okay, that, that's great. You know, you can get this laptop, but, you know, can, can an enterprise go and buy Windows 10 Pro today to run on, say, ARM servers? And no, you cannot, right? It doesn't exist. There's no variant of Windows Server for ARM today. Uh, what, what we do know today, though, however, is that uh, Microsoft at Open uh, Compute, um, a conference, a uh, uh, open compute platform, I believe, a conference a few years ago, did start talking about ARM servers and how they're interesting from an infrastructure use case for Azure, right? Again, there were no product plans or anything like that, but did demonstrate that, look, you know, Microsoft has been developing this technology and you can sort of see it materialized you know, partially through these, you know, uh, consumer-based products. Uh, but today there's no Windows, right? Um, so, okay, let's, I guess let's leave the enterprise a bit, you know, as it is, right? Uh, you know, clearly, you know, we're tracking uh, enterprise adoption of ARM servers. Uh, you know, if all of our customers all, all of a sudden suddenly uh, come to us and say, Andre, you know, uh, we, we want to switch our x86 servers to ARM servers, uh, that, that's something we have to pay attention to, but that's not something that's happening at the moment. Okay, so let's leave it alone. Um, and, uh, you know, VMware, you know, as a company, we want to grow, um, and that means we want to enter new, uh, interesting, exciting markets. And one such new interesting and exciting market is edge computing. Um, edge computing actually means a lot of things to, to, to different people, and that's okay, because that's sort of part of the, uh, you know, that comes with the space. Because edge um, is, uh, you know, everybody knows what the data center is, right? And you buy these, uh, some machine, you buy, the, buy some machine which you know, fits your wallet, you kind of don't, know, don't really know what you'll be using it for, but you'll build out a giant data center of that, and in three years, you'll eBay everything, right? Uh, Edge, though, is specific infrastructure. Um, it usually lives for a fairly long time, you know, five to 10 years. It, it might be in a strange environment, um, maybe you know, inhospitable, you know, industrial, uh, maybe even a military environment, you know, who knows, right? And, um, and you will not use it to run uh, some unknown workloads. You know exactly what it will be doing. Maybe it's doing some analytics. Maybe it's uh, some kind of... Uh, um, critical monitoring workload, you know, it's controlling some uh, piece of equipment. So you know exactly what it's doing. And so what you're really trying to do is, is take some compute and, and, and aggregate data uh, exactly, you know, consume data where it's produced uh, and act on that data exactly, you know, where, reduce the latencies between processing, right, and, and, and the generation and, uh, and consumption of data. Um, and from that perspective, you would like to say, well, uh, I want systems that are a low price point that can be customized, you know, to be the bare minimum I need to meet my requirements, right? Uh, and that are ruggedized. Um, and such a definition mm -hmm. uh, includes both x86 and ARM platforms, right? And in fact, you know, it, because very much this edge compute in an industrial and IoT fashion is growing out from the more, from the embedded space, and embedded spaces have been fairly dominated by ARM. You can sort of see where, okay, well, these ARM systems are going to grow up, and suddenly we would like to run uh, more uh, you know, smarter um, analytics or do, do actual compute workloads out at the edge, right? Not, not uh, on-prem, on not somewhere in the cloud, but there, there are things that you really want to be able to handle on the spot. 
So one parallel I like to draw is that first you had a data center, and then you decided you didn't really want to deal with that, and so you kind of defer that to somebody else's data centers. Right? That's basically what the cloud is. I mean, there's a bit of an improved management story there as well, which I don't want to gloss over, but basically that's what it is. Uh, the edge, though, represents a move to treat the entire planet as a data center, right? Suddenly, you have systems everywhere, you know? You have things that are in, on every city block, on every factory, in every oil rig. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of interesting and exciting challenges there. But so, industrial right. IoT is kind of interesting, and you know, we've uh, showed this uh, kind of fun uh, demonstration at VMware Vegas for the, you know, there's a resilient edge cluster you know, that's operating a wind turbine. And the fault tolerance aspect there actually allows uh, each uh, host in that uh, cluster be maintained. You can do maintenance, you know, update uh, the software or, you know, deal with, I guess, you know, un the unexpected without having that mission critical workload go down. But it's a bit of a new definition, right? You know, nobody's really doing that. There isn't really hardware available for that. But are there any other um, uh, definitions of edge? Of course there are. Uh, one such definition is called MEC, M-E-C, that's the mobility um, edge computing. And it's the okay. idea that you have uh, advanced uh, compute capability uh, at, at every cell phone tower. Uh, can, you, can you guess why that might be useful? Because uh, you're going to run different uh, telecoms on, on each tower and you want isolation? I have no idea. Well, that's all that's one, right? So very, you know, very much telcos, you know, they don't want to spend money on custom hardware. So they can consume off-the-shelf hardware and off-the-shelf software, right? And run basically these uh, VNFs, you know, virtual networking function, you know, wrap up basically their, their actual workload is, um, some, is a distributable uh, you know, unit, like a virtual machine or a container and deploy right. that in, in a fairly standard and cheaper environment to have. And of course, push it out away from the central location out to where where the cell phone connections are actually made, right? So you can do most, bulk, bulk, the bulk of the processing there. But this stuff isn't just interesting for telcos, right? They, they can sell that capacity or edge, uh, edge cloud um, or physical infrastructure companies can sell that capacity, which is now basically localized uh, geographically. So maybe there's a football game. And uh, one yeah. of your, uh, all these MVNOs, like the virtual network providers, right? They, they know they'll have a lot of their customers you know, uh, in the audience, right? And they can buy up some of the capacity because this is a telco use case, fine. They can buy up the bulk capacity and then run the workload there. But maybe maybe that somebody is videotaping the whole event and they want to do the transcoding, but you know they don't want to do the transcoding somewhere in the cloud because you're pushing tons of bits, right? Halfway around the world. No, they want to do it as close as possible to the game. Or maybe the, maybe uh, uh, you know, the police are, are chasing some criminal, right? And they would want to deploy some kind of gunshot detection logic or something that needs to be, uh, you know, repetitively throughout the city deployed um, or you know, be operating within a certain set of uh, fixed latencies. So suddenly you're able to say, well, I don't want to just deploy something to a region. I don't want to deploy a workload to a city. I, I, I'm able to deploy uh, to city blocks. So that, that's really cool. And that's another definition of edge. And and that definition of edge, you know, does involve pretty average looking uh, infrastructure. Again, kind of rackable servers. Um, okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. I, I mean, that gets into kind of like the, uh, the 5G conversation as well as, you know, oh. as, as we get higher low latency network capability, then pushing, uh, I think we had somebody in the podcast about a half a year ago that was, came, came in talking about uh, VeloCloud and how you're actually going to have the next SaaS service, the next, the next cloud movement is going to be kind of an edge cloud where your services are going to be right out on the edge and then managing those services with, uh, with, with VMs and containers uh, out, in, out on the edge makes a lot of sense and 5G kind of plays into that. VeloCloud services play a, uh, you know, a, a narrative in that story. So I think that's uh, now you're saying that ARM and management of containers and VMs are also going to be a part of that, that mix. Absolutely. And by the way, you, since you're sort of talking about VeloCloud, I, I forgot uh, that I forgot to mention um, uh, network function virtualization. And so there's network function virtualization that you do in a data center, and that's fine, but there's a concept called VCP or UCPs, Universal Customer Premise Equipment. So customer premise equipment is stuff that's at the customer premises. 
you know, it looks like a bit of network kit, like a, a network switch, a router, uh, but it's basically a platform that the you know your ISP, your telco can can run some some workload uh, on on your premises. Maybe that's a VPN or whatever. I'm not really a networking guy, um, but uh, it really is an industry shift as well. Is that uh, you know these companies don't want to deploy uh, custom weird hardware. They want to leverage as much off the shelf, uh, whether that whether that means right. uh, deploying centrally or deploying deploying on your premises. Um, and finally, you know we talked about edge, and that's great. You know we talked about data center, but then what about the cloud? So uh, one of the early um, prop value propositions behind ARM was you know there was this hyperscaler space. Do you remember the hyperscalers? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, it was this idea that you can have sort of wimpy compute platforms and right. uh, the project moonshot, right? Giant expensive rack with tons of small wimpy compute blades, ARM and x86. So that the moonshot idea didn't really go very far, right? But they were kind of aiming at, well, what about all these cloud workloads that you could run you know, more efficiently, right? And so while the moonshot, you know, let's kind of forget about that. Uh, but there are cloud, there were cloud, uh, early cloud adopters. Uh, of ARM servers. And Scaleway is one such company. Packet is another such company. Um, but then we saw this uh, kind of amazing announcement um, last year at reInvent right, by AWS, yep. where AWS yep. announced ARM VMs, ARM EC2 instances, uh, using their yep. you know, using their own uh, homegrown design ARM uh, CPU, uh, which was uh, very interesting from a, a number of aspects. First of all, that they saw value for ARM CPUs in the cloud, all right, and they kind of very much validated, you know, the space. You know, if Amazon, you know, kind of puts its foot down, then clearly this is a direction that, that's relevant, right? Uh, so it validates a lot of what these other companies have been doing with Packet and Scaleway. Um, uh, but another interesting aspect is that they've designed their own ARM CPU. They've designed their own ARM server to run these workloads. They didn't buy it from somebody. And again, if you can think yeah. about that, well. You know, they, they invested so much. So clearly, they, they can, it's more than just a, a numbers game for them, right? They're not kind of, you know, they're not trying to shake down anybody for, uh, you know, a smaller price tag for a different CPU. You know, they're really, they, they see value for this. Um, and they've been, of course, floating some pretty uh, amazing numbers in terms of the cost savings that they're able to reflect to their customers. Uh, so it was pretty interesting. So, so cloud. Cloud is another place where you can consume ARM today and where you can realize um, cost savings for some kinds of workloads, obviously not all kinds of workloads. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now, you know, because we have 15 minutes left or maybe a little bit more because we've got a late start, um, we get to have some fun here. Right. So we, we, we basically framed ARM. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, thanks for doing that, uh, Andre, taking us through that, the whole industry and why we're here. Now we get to have fun because, um, you know, part of the community effort is, you know, homegrown labs. What can you do in, you know, what, you know, what can you do in your own, your own, your own garage or your own office? And that's where we get into the, the, the project you're working on, which is, hey, let's go put ESXi on ARM. And for your homegrown guys, you actually, you know, we're, we actually put it on uh, Raspberry Pi for fun. So maybe you can take us a little bit of through. So your ESXi project on ARM, uh, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Uh, what, what, what's the status of your project? And what do you want to tell us about that uh, and challenges sure. around getting ESX on ARM to begin with? Of course. So ESXi on ARM is a port of the ESXi hypervisor. Uh, today, what we have is uh, a pretty reasonable uh, subset of an ESXi distribution. Uh, we can uh, you know, obviously install it on ARM systems. You can you have uh, the ESX UI, so embedded host client management. And we have some early vCenter support, uh, which we highlighted, of course, during VMworld with uh, you know, HAV motion fault tolerance, which uh, we consider to be pretty important and interesting things to have uh, for edge workloads. Um, the, it's not a product today, right? And there are no immediate prioritization plans. However, we are working on identifying uh, prioritization plans. Um, I already highlighted the uh, the vector for such prioritization plans should they occur, and that will be edge computing. Uh, we believe that uh, you know VMware has solved the operations problems in a data center, and we believe that edge computing uh, you know sees a lot of the same operations issues. How do you uh, manage systems at scale remotely? How do you deal with the workload lifecycle, with security, with isolation? 
Yeah. How do you ensure that you don't create the world's largest botnet, right? Yeah. Are you sure that you know those uh, VMs or containers you deployed didn't get hacked, right? Do they have any anomalous behavior? Are they pegging the CPU to 100%? Or as easy as that is, how do you upgrade the, the little boxes without breaking them? Right? I have personal story here. I have a, a wireless router. Every week, I have to power cycle. I don't know why. I, I just do, right? And um, do you think- So do I. Yeah, Put it on a timer. Really, you know, it doesn't scale. You know, can you imagine hiring somebody whose job will be to go around every room, every floor in a giant skyscraper to power cycle Wi-Fi routers? So, you know, and if you think about it, all these problems in terms of you know, how do you manage systems at scale? How do you, you know, do multi-tenancy? That's important. How do you isolate? You know, auto band management, and that's all great. You know, everybody can do that, right? I mean, hypothetically, everybody can. But then our customers are probably going to buy solutions from a number of companies. So who's going to own the integration? That's kind of important, right? So basically, we think we can we, we, we can solve the all these issues and make uh, edge computing uh, be a, you know a, a real environment deployment, not just a science project. And we can do this with technology similar to what we've done in a data center. Now, clearly, there's some challenges and. Yeah, Man, you know, having you know, here's the center, right? We want to create a V planet, right? There's, there's challenges with that. Um, nevertheless, uh, you know, we also don't want to uh, paint our uh, have our customers paint themselves in a, into a corner. So if they are using some hardware platform today, right? let's say there's a product, let's say there's a hardware platform, let's say there's a hardware platform that meets the requirements today, you don't want that workload to be too tightly coupled. To the hardware, right? Because that prevents them from easily moving out to a, to a different system, right? And now they're, they're stuck using this forevermore, right? So right. You know, we see that you, know, you should be able to put together workloads in a way where you don't have to care anymore if it's ARM or x86, or is it the, you know, is it the x86 from five years ago, the x86 of today, or the ARM of you know five years future, right? It's a common platform definition. You kind of decouple, right, and allow customers to pick the hardware that makes the most sense for them. Right? We're not a hardware company. Um, so that's the edge vector. Uh, status of the project, uh, I mentioned we're, we're working on identifying prioritization plans, but we're also working with customers and evaluations. So if, if you are a customer and you're listening to this, or you want to be a customer and you're listening to this, uh, then we are ready to uh, evaluate ESXi ARM on uh, select uh, platforms from our preferred vendors. Those preferred vendors are Mellanox and Ampere Computing. Uh, let's see. Right. And uh, what about so, when we see a release of ARM? I mean, I kind of said that there is no product plans today, but we're working hard on identifying productization scenarios. This is kind of where the customer evaluations come in and, and customer pull. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, and uh, you know, all of our products have been kind of released that way. Even uh, when, we, we, when we bought NYSERA, uh, you know, we, we basically, you know, look for customers that were you know, on the edge that wanted to learn and help us build and uh, prioritize features and all that. So same way to roll this out. It, you're, you're, you guys are you're working on it. Uh, it's still yeah. early days. And so if customers are interested or you have somebody that uh, wants to engage in that way, uh, people know how to do, work with us on those, that, that kind of world. So uh, you, you're opening it up for a select few that uh, are interested in that and have, have uh, you know, industry need for it. So right. that sounds great. Right. Perfect. Now, one Perfect. question. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, I'll just, uh, you know, if we want to finish up on the, the main ARM piece and ESXi and the, those two vendors, why don't you repeat the two hardware vendors? I'm curious what those were again, just so sure. we, you know, we get the... Uh, so, so uh, the two vendors that uh, we can drop evaluations today with uh, would be uh, Mellanox using their Bluefield SOC uh, platforms and Ampere Computing with their Emacs servers. Uh, so this is actually a great lead-in to, to explain uh, that we believe that the future uh, for ARM systems at the edge or anywhere else um, are in, is in standardization, right? So I highlighted that now there is this new definition uh, it has server in the name, but guess what? These are not server specs. These are you know, common sense. Let's innovate where innovation matters and not like make things, breaking changes just for the sake of making breaking changes. Uh, it also makes ARM systems look a lot like x86 for us. So that's obviously a benefit. Um, and the question that many uh, in our audience may have is, okay, well, I got this uh, ARM board sitting in a home. Can run ESXi ARM on it, you know, assuming you had a build. Um, and the most likely answer to that, of course, is, is no, because most likely the board that you have um, is, is not standard, right? It's not compatible. Um, now, 
I know there's a question about home labs. Uh, so there are some systems that, including one we showed at VMware Vegas, that um, we, we, we can support. Uh, one, uh, and I'll, I'll drop links here uh, a bit, I guess, I guess after the show. One is uh, the SoftIron Overdrive 1000. That's like a $600 thing you can buy. Um, and another one is a, a Marvel Armada-based uh, Macchiato bit, Saladron Macchiato bit, which is in here also the platform we showed um, at VMware um, VMworld. Now, Raspberry Pi, right? I mean, that's sort of the... Yeah, the, 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 we'll, <laughs> we'll finish up with the... How, how are we going to twist your arm to get you to drop bits <laughs> for the Raspberry Pi? Okay. Uh, so first of all, uh, stories. Stories are great. Uh, so uh, I was uh, at uh, VMworld uh, Vegas, uh, you know, manning the booth uh, um, uh, for ESXi ARM. Uh, and a fellow approached me and said, look, you know, this is all great, right? This edge thing, VMware, so what? Are you going to deploy a rackable server at the edge? This giant thing, what? Is it going to go to a Starbucks location or something? And I'm like, of course not, you know. So, you know, when we say edge, we really mean different kind of footprints, different footprints. And obviously, a lot of these footprints, especially in the industrial, you know, you're talking about things that have to be small, have to be low power. And so right. he kind of was pointed at me and said, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So Raspberry Pi, right? And now, of course, I had to explain to him that the Raspberry Pi, um, uh, although it's a great platform with an awesome community, it is not a standards compliant platform. Um, and also, it is a, a platform uh, with some fairly severe resource restrictions. It only has a gig of RAM. Uh, actually, saying that kind of pains me because, you know, my first PC had two megs of RAM, but fine. Only a gig of yeah. RAM. Um, it should pain you, especially if you're a good kernel engineer. You shouldn't be frightened by this. <laughs> yeah. So only gig of RAM, right? Um, but he wasn't the only person that approached me throughout the show. Uh, and I realized, look, you know, I think you know, the things that I'm talk saying about standardization are, are falling on, you know, deaf ears. Um, and also, it'd be great to even show it on the Pi to explain why, basically, things like the Pi aren't necessarily a great fit for ESXi. Uh, but look, everybody knows the Raspberry Pi is, right? Not everybody knows what the ARM is. I mean, maybe we'll go investigate, but everybody knows what the Raspberry Pi is. So we went back and we decided, look, we'll, we'll show ESXi and the Pi, and we did. Uh, and we did, we got it working. We demonstrated uh, a version of it at VMworld Barcelona. Uh, and uh, a short while after that, I believe, uh, uh, Eric, you had demonstrated that someplace uh, with uh, working networking. Um, yep. But uh, about a few weeks ago, uh, I'm, I'm able to run a, a virtual machine on the Raspberry Pi. In fact, it's a very small virtual machine, of course, but nonetheless, it's a, a you know, four-core uh, Linux virtual machine with networking and uh, USB. And so it, it, it's cool that we got that far. Uh, and I think, again, I think it, it helps me talk uh, and say that um, you know, Raspberry Pi uh, a great platform and it's a great forcing function for the work that we do in our company right because it's important to run the systems with low resources with slow io uh, you have to aim at the raspberry pi uh, of course by the time a product might materialize you know, this current generation of raspberry pis won't be really relevant anymore right but that means that we'll be able to prioritize in the in the in the in a reasonable and yet much smaller footprint than uh, what we have today in the data center uh, and so the Pi for us, the Pi demo, you should treat that very much as a, as a promise that VMware is making, that we understand that uh, there will be very different systems at the edge, uh, you know, because of the different wor uh, workload requirements and the different environmental factors. Some of these systems will be kind of plain average and normal from, you know, our data center-centric uh, view, but other platforms will be very, very small, uh, almost as small as the Pi. But of course, all these systems will be standards compliant. Right, right. Okay, so yeah, we get that. And uh, and from a community perspective, though, uh, it's it's fun to see it on the Pi. It's just one of these things where when you boot it up and you get it running, you're like, oh, that's cool. It reminds me of the iPhone days uh, when iPhone 1 came out and, you know, they had it locked and somebody jailbroke it and, uh, and you, could, you, you could get into the guy and then, yeah, I forget what the, the, what the software installer was for that jailbroken thing, but then you could go get Apache and I, I got one of my websites running on my iPhone just for fun, right? Like there is just something hacking around being able to take ESXi and getting it on a, on a chip 
in, putting the chip in, booting that guy up, and then you know getting a VM running on it. There's no useful function for it other than it's just a super cool thing to do. So I, I give you credit for also you know just building something that is just really a fun project to do, a DI, DIY kind of project. Do your DIY project. Do it yourself at home. Get Raspberry Pi running with, uh, with 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 ESXi and getting a VM running on it just just for something fun to do. So uh, one of these days maybe we can do that. Yeah, one thing I'll mention is that you know as much as I like the Pi demo, right? Um, it, it, if a customer saw that and was able to play with that, uh, would that be representative of what we can really do with ESXi on ARM? It's not, right? And so from yeah, that perspective, it's a really cool demo. But uh, you know, ESXi ARM is basically production-grade stuff today in the company. It's sure. not a product today, but it's as close as you can come to that in terms of the quality. Uh, you know, ESXi on the Pi is a cool gimmick. It's a great way to kind of expand the you know the thought horizons, right, for our customers and and, and show them in you know, the vector for where we want to go and and how the software is adapting to the lower to scale down and scale out. Um, yeah. One thing, yeah, one thing I'll definitely mention is that, you know, there's nothing available today. I'm sorry. Uh, but, I know. Uh, it will change in the future. And I, 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 and, yeah. I gave you two links to platforms that are uh, approachable in the home lab, right. and you can play with these things today with Linux, and maybe tomorrow we'll have ESXi ARM on them. Who knows? And let me pitch you on the, on, the, on the why, right? Like why I think it's interesting from a Raspberry Pi perspective, right? And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just pitch you. Maybe you can just go back and think about it, right? So, so the fun thing about it for me is that uh, let's say we're talking to our community and the V experts, we got 2,000 V experts that listen to this podcast and we got other people that listen to this podcast as well. The V experts, hey, they're no problem. They have their home labs. You can go buy a grand and get, a, get ESXi. It's a production environment. You can, it can run it uh, uh, micro. Micro servers, no problem, and you know, and and certainly for ARM, I could do the same thing. And I have, you know, I'm making my hundred thousand a year, and I got budget of my own. I can spend money. Um, but then there is like maybe sixty percent of people out there that you know run VMware. And I equate to the days when uh, I I came out of college and uh, I ran Unix in production environments and data centers, and I worked in a data center. And there was a time when I never had a root password to a machine because. I had a, a job. I was doing my job on those servers in the data center, and I never had a root password. And the first root password I ever got to a Unix machine was SEO Unix, where I saved up some money for my job, and I went and bought a 286, I think a 12 megahertz 286 machine, and I got SCO Linux, and I installed it. And I can remember the days that I finally got my first root password, right? And it wasn't that, that I, you know, I just was able to have a root password and log in and then start learning Linux commands and start spending my time in the evenings or at home on the weekends, you know, doing that. And there is a large segment of the audience that doesn't have a home lab that has never had their own machine to bring down, to crash, to do stupid things to, right? And the cool thing about a, a Raspberry Pi hacky do-it-yourself kind of fun thing is that all of a sudden I take that cost of getting a, a command line API that I can play with, you know, and spin up a VM and just kind of play with it and do it myself without worrying about production or pre-production environments or anything like that, is that I could buy it for 50 bucks or Raspberry Pi, go get a distribution and, and then just be able to have it for myself, kill it, crash it, you know, whatever I want to do. And although it's, we know it's not production, we know that that's not really what it's about. It's being able to say, hey, I've got my own machine with ESXi running on it and for 50 bucks. That's just super. Oh, cool. absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that completely resonates with me. So again, we don't right. have um, any, any plans today uh, on making it uh, available. Uh, however, you know, I that, that, that's my target. So uh, I'd love to be able yeah. to, in, in the terminated future, yeah, yeah. to tell you that, gents, you can go yeah. and get this. And We're, we push the bit somewhere. Yeah. So there you go. I'm I'm I am a giant hero of you. Uh, I I just I just think that it was awesome that you you know because we know you don't we don't pay you for that right. We don't pay you to for put a put uh, put something on a machine that's totally useless. But from a community perspective and a D DIY kind of guy, uh, where you know we can you know hand them out as free gifts at the VMware booth, right? Or you come to be expert. Here's your Raspberry Pi with SXI on it for fun. That is like so super cool that I am a giant fan of any work you do here and, oh, uh, and so you know, thanks I'll for doing you. that 
I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind, like, okay, I got the working, that's cool. Okay, so it's like a, it's somewhat of a demo of ESXR, but I told you ESXR, you know, right. it runs much better on hardware that's actually built for it. Um, but what can I do with it? Well, I think it's the world's coolest SSH coin. Right. I got one with a little uh, a screen and a wireless keyboard, and I could SSH from it, you know, anywhere. It's cool, right? I mean, uh, I am SSHing from ESXi on a Raspberry Pi. It's also world's coolest uh, VMFS mounted, right? Plug in a VMFS storage, and it'll mount it, and uh, now you can SCP files to and from, right? That's so there, so there are cool. some cool things that yeah. I guess you do, right? I mean, they're kind of gimmicky, but you know, I, I think um, you know we can all relate to that like it's cool to do in your home lab or your lab it's right it's just you got it at home oh, yeah. and it's yeah. yeah and it does introduce you to arm right right like you say a lot of people don't even know what arm is and here's an easy way that i can go oh yeah here 42 dollars uh interestingly so, enough uh, uh, yeah go ahead i just want to put in another plug that you know uh vmware does have something for the raspberry pi today right that's public and that is the vmware photon os right it, do you guys know what the photon oh, OS right. is? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Photon is the, so we got uh, the photon on Raspberry. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So you can yeah, download it correctly, just flash it to an SD card, and you can run photon OS from Raspberry Pi. Uh, now, I'll tell you a cool story. Did you know how photon OS was ported to ARM? No. Mm -mm. It was ported. I know that. I know. I know that it came. Did it come out of the Seattle office, out of Microsoft, you know, engineer up there? I don't even. I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, it came out of our, yes, so yes, it came out of our Bellevue office. There's a team there in the IoT business unit that, that works on Photon, um, but it was ported uh, in a in a virtual machine that ran on top of ESXi ARM on an uh, AMD overdrive system, actually. So, ah, there you go, right? Yeah, so, okay. ARM was yeah, used yeah. for Photon, and actually today yeah. uh, the Photon team represents. Uh, a, an internal customer for ESXi ARM. You know, they run ESXi ARM on ARM servers as part of the build farm. Right. And I think I think Amazon, you know, the fact that they did an ARM announcement and they're investing here too, I think it's one of these, you know, couple year out things that we need to pay attention to as IT practitioners and our architects to just make sure we understand it and know what it is. And so that's why that's why you're probably very popular, right? Because it, I think I think it, uh, AWS got everybody's attention uh, as well. So um, that's that's great. Um, so we're at the top of the hour, uh, and so Andre, I, you know, thank you for doing the work. Thanks for coming on the podcast and and uh, being very very knowledgeable about the whole industry and uh, the the project that you're working on. So I think the whole community says thanks a lot for doing this kind of stuff, coming on the show. Um, are do you are you on Twitter? Do, you know, you're an engineer guy. I don't know if you do any of that, but uh, people will follow you if you are on Twitter. So, so I, the link I sent, the link I said in the chat. Um, so I have I do have a Twitter account and that is that what a inside. Um, I generally use it to track what's happening in, in the in the arm world, but uh, right. I post things to, about our project as well uh, when there's something to post that we can post. Uh, one thing to say is that you know I I do understand that if you're listening to this podcast, it's kind of rambly. You know I I say things here and I say things there, and they kind of fit in the whole picture. But you might have questions. Uh, and there's not everything that can be covered in a podcast. Uh, so if you have questions, um, I, I don't know what the right way of doing that is. Uh, maybe you can suggest, but I, I always welcome questions and I will answer them. All right. Well, we'll look up. Maybe we'll set up a form and uh, you know get you plugged into some of the form stuff that we have out there. Um, we also have Slack channels. It's kind of interesting on the VMware code side of the house. So uh, we'll take that as an action item to see yeah, if we yeah, can get a place for aggregate the yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, we we look forward to any work you 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 move the uh, uh, AWS Raspberry Pi forward. Thanks for everybody online for watching. Uh, always fun to have uh, Facebook and YouTube live streaming of ourselves. Hopefully, we'll get uh, John back in uh, in the in the uh, the room next week. And uh, to finish up, uh, thank you very much, uh, Andre uh, Andre Warkington, uh, for for being here on the show. And we will do a, a barbecue report. I got a, an interesting story. We did for the Super Bowl weekend make the uh, chicken wings. Uh, we put them on a on a rack, did them in the oven, uh, but we also put baking 
uh, powder on them. Uh, you, you, you use the standard sauce. You put, you put baking powder on them lightly. I think I tweeted out that recipe, and they came out fantastic. They, the baking powder makes them crispy. So if you've always wondered how you can get really crispy, crunchy chicken wings, uh, these are the orange sauce chicken wings with uh, celery and blue cheese dressing. You can go uh, look online. There is a great article that talks about using uh, baking uh, soda to coat the chicken, and when you do it in the oven, it, it, it changes the, the meat and causes it to crisp up, which they were fantastic. So that's the end of the podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody, for joining. As always on the chat, nice to see everybody. And uh, we'll be here again next week. And until then, everybody have a great week. Talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.